One of the things that we're doing at Trinity right now is we are uh, meeting, our, our goal over the summer is to sit down and meet with every single person that calls Trinity their church home. And, uh, and we're talking about what it is we're doing as a church and why we're doing it and where we're headed and how you all can support that. And I know Mike has either met with some of you already or, or will at some point be meeting with all of you. But I, I've had a chance to sit down with a lot of people, some people that have been part of Trinity for a long time. Uh, over these, uh, this past month and a half or so. And I can tell you, uh, to a person, every single person that I've sat down and met with is so excited about what's happening here. You know, one of the first things I hear from people is, the first questions I get is, how are things going at South Naperville? Or how are things going at Galewood, our two new campuses here and in the city? And uh, they're just thrilled about what you guys are doing and uh, that God is at work here in some amazing ways. So I, I hope you know that, that a lot of people are thinking about you, uh, a lot of people are praying for you, and uh, a lot of people are excited about what God is doing both here and in our, the Early Childhood Center here in South Naperville. So I wanted to make sure uh, you knew that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to make sure that you guys are aware of is, as we're working our way through the book of Romans, uh, the toughest section of the whole book of Romans is the section we had to do this morning. And I don't think that's any coincidence that Mike has gone on vacation. <laughs> I really don't. You know, when he said to me, because originally the schedule was a little different. Uh, I was supposed to be here last week, actually. Um, and he came to me a while back and he said, hey, would you mind if we switch things around a little bit so you could be there uh, the second week in July? Because our vacation, we're trying to make those vacation plans and I'm going to be gone that weekend. It'd be really great if I knew uh, you could be there uh, to preach that weekend. And I said, sure, absolutely, I can do that. And then I went and I looked at what was on the docket to be preached about in Romans. And I went, darn, how did he do that? You know, it, it really is a tough section of the book of Romans. And uh, uh, so before we dive into it, we're really looking at three chapters this morning. And the reason we're doing three whole chapters is because it's all kind of one unit. It's all kind of one theme that ties it all together. Uh, one thing that Paul is talking about. So we really needed to look at it all together. Uh, so we're going to skip a little bit. We're going to just kind of pound at some important verses. And by the way, if you've got your Bibles, either on your phones or uh, you've got them with you, uh, that's all, it would always be great to follow along. Uh, but th the temptation would have been to just skip over this part of Romans. Because as, as you're going to see, um, a lot of what Paul is talking about here may not directly apply to us. And, and you'll understand why in a minute when we, when we look at what Paul has to say. So the temptation would have been to just skip. And, uh, and, and go right from chapter 8, which there was some really good stuff in it. And uh, if you weren't here to hear it uh, last week, you might want to check out that podcast because there's just a wealth of wonderful things in Romans chapter 8. Um, and then there's some great stuff in chapter 12 next week. Uh, just some amazing things that Paul has to say that really does apply very much uh, to our daily lives as believers. So the temptation would have been to just skip over this. But you see, there's this passage in 2 Timothy that says this. It says, all scripture is breathed by God and is useful. So think about that for a minute. Literally what it says is the whole Bible, um, we, we use a fancy word for it, we call it inspired, but I like this translation, breathed by God, because that's really what the word inspired means. It says all of scripture is breathed by God. And, uh, and the word here is the same word that when you think back into the Old Testament, do you remember how God made Adam? 
Uh, God just says, let there be light, and there's light. God just says, uh, uh, let there be animals, and the animals exist, right? But that's not, God doesn't just say, let there be human beings, and they poof into existence. Instead, it says God forms Adam, that first human being, out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathes life into him. We are created differently than all the rest of God's creation because we were brought into to existence by the breath of God. And it's that same phrase that is used here for God's word. So all scripture is breathed out by God and all scripture is useful. In other words, there's something in Romans 9 through 11 that God wants us to hear this morning. So uh, while it's a tough part of Scripture and it would have been easy to just kind of skip over it, if we had done that, we would have missed something. And uh, so one of my tasks this week as I was getting ready to be here this morning was to ask that question, you know, what does this mean for us this morning? So I, I, think, I think there's some really important things in here. So let's, let's go ahead and let's start with Romans chapter 9. And uh, I'm just going to look at the first five verses. Let me read those verses for you here. And again, this is Paul writing. And, and listen to what he says. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And, he, and this, look at what he says. He says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. You ever felt that way? Great sorrow and unceasing anguish. This isn't just, I'm sad the Cubs lost yesterday. By the way, they didn't. They won. That was cool, right? But, uh, uh, but, uh, but you know, this isn't just, you know, I, I'm not real happy that dinner wasn't that good this morning. He, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. In other words, there's something in Paul's life that is causing him just this incredible pain, emotional pain. And then he explains what it is, and this is what he says. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, who's he talking about? Is he talking about his literal brothers? No. He, he says, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And he says, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their, their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is, he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, you remember how the Jews came to be. God called this guy named Abraham. He, he, was, he was a pagan who worshipped the moon. And, uh, and he, he called this guy named Abraham, and he said, no, I am the true God, and I want you to follow me. And he said, more important than that, he said, I am going to bless you, and you are going to have many descendants. He took him outside. He said, look at the stars in the sky. He says, as many as there are stars in the sky, that's how many descendants you are going to have. And he said, not only are you going to have all these descendants, but I'm going to establish you as a people in this land that they became, became known as the promised land, modern day Israel today. And, uh, and he said, you are going to be my people. Now, why were they his people? For two reasons. First of all, God wanted to show the rest of the world how you were supposed to live. And so he gave them these things called the Ten Commandments. And actually, if you add up all the laws that are there uh, in the Old Testament, it's 613 of them they have found, right? 613 different rules on how to live your daily life. And again, God was doing that so that they as a people could show the rest of the world the way God had wanted everybody to live. So they were supposed to be an example. 
He said, but even more than that, from you is going to come this one descendant, who we now know was Jesus, who is going to fix the sin problem in this world. So, so these people came to be known as the Israelites, or now we know them as the Jewish people. And so Paul is saying here that, that he's got this anguish in his heart because of his Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? Does anybody know? Why was he so anguished about his Jewish brothers and sisters? He didn't believe in Jesus. Here, here the very Messiah that had been promised, the promised one, that, that had been promised was going to come from them, that, them as a people, he had come and they didn't realize it or they refused to believe it. And, and so there's this weird circumstance where there are, there are some Jews that believe in Jesus. There are some Jews that recognize who he is as God's Savior. There are some Jews that recognize him, like Paul himself, who was a Jew. But the vast majority of the Jews not only didn't believe in him, they, they actually persecuted people that did believe in him. And so listen what Paul says. He says, I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. That's a pretty amazing thing to say, isn't it? He says, I would give up my relationship with Jesus if it meant all the other Jews would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Wow. Pretty stunning. I don't know if I could say that, right? I mean, I don't know if I could say that even of my own actual family, you know? If I could say, I, I, I would rather that I was cut off from Jesus if just everybody in my family would know Jesus as their Savior. I want everybody in my family to know Jesus, but I don't know if I would have the unselfishness to say, but I'll, so that's okay. I can be cut off from Jesus. I can be eternally condemned for the sake of that. I don't know. That's what Paul says. Now, by the way, just a quick little side note here before we move on. One of the things that you hear sometimes for people is, well, everybody gets to go to heaven, right? It, it doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus or not. Everybody gets to go to heaven. Um, and, and it's true that God loves everybody. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But if that was true, if it was true that everybody gets to go to heaven and that you know, Paul's saying, well, yeah, the Jews don't believe in Jesus, but that's okay. God's going to let them into heaven anyway. He would never say something like this, would he? And so I don't want you to miss the fact that for Paul, this idea that there were people that didn't know Jesus was a big deal for him. He was very passionate. In fact, his whole life was dedicated to helping people know Jesus. And of course, that's relevant for us, isn't it? Because we all know people that are far from God. We all know people that don't know Jesus. And, and wouldn't it be awesome if we had that same passion that Paul had for those who are far from him? So, so there's some truths in here now that Paul is going to be talking about that are going to help us understand why this idea that Jews who don't know Jesus is such a big deal. And the first truth comes in, in, in verse 8 where he says this. He says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. In other words, what he's saying is there is no birthright when it comes to faith. Now, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you wanted to go live in Israel today, if you wanted to become a Jewish citizen, you could do it, but, but the only way you can do it is if you can prove 
that on your mother's side there are Jews. Now, not your father's side. That doesn't count for some reason. But, but on your mother's side, you need to be able to demonstrate that either your mom or your grandma or, or somebody on mom's side of the family is a, was born Jewish. And if they are, then you automatically can become a Jewish citizen. Now, that may sound odd to us, but we've got some stuff like that on our own. Uh, you probably know that if you want to be president of the United States, you have to be a natural born citizen. You can't have become a citizen later in life. You can't be president. You can be a senator, you can be a congressman, but if you want to be president, you've got to be a natural born citizen of the United States. And, uh, and, and by the way, that's why there was such a controversy about where President Obama was born, remember? You know, because uh, he is a U.S. citizen. He was a natural born uh, citizen, but, but there were some people saying he wasn't, which was you know, a big controversy. So, so there's this idea of birthright sometimes. And there were Jews that believed in Paul's day that they were right with God simply because of who their parents were. They believed that they had been born into God's family and that made them right with God. There was this guy named Nicodemus who was a, a religious leader of Jesus' day. And he was intrigued by the things that Jesus was saying. And so he came to Jesus at night um, if you read John chapter 3, you can read this story if it's interesting to you. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he goes, look, Jesus, we know that you're saying really good things, but we're really puzzled about what you're doing. Help me understand this. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, if you want to be right with God, you must be born again. In other words, he was trying to help Nicodemus see that just because he had been born as a Jew didn't mean he was right with God. There was a new birth he needed to have. And so Paul says here that the children of God are not children of the flesh. In other words, you don't become a child of God simply because you get born into it because your parents were. You become a child of God um, you're, 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 if you're a child of the promise. What does he mean? Well, he means us. He's talking about us as children of God. When did you become a child of the promise? When did you, to use the words Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, become born again in your baptism? That's why we talk about baptism as a rebirth. In the waters of our baptism, we are reborn and we are made children of God. By the way, it's why those of you that are parents are here, and not just here, but you have your kids learning about who Jesus is. Because they don't become followers of Jesus simply because you're a follower of Jesus and you gave birth to him, right? They have to become children of the promise. That's why we have them baptized. That's why we teach them about who Jesus is. That's why we have something like the Early Childhood Center here at South Naperville so that those kids can come to learn who Jesus is and become children of the promise. So first truth is, just being born into the Jewish family, Paul says, doesn't save you. There's something else that needs to save you. The second truth is, and this is in verse 15, he says this. He says, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I have compassion. In other words, the second truth Paul is talking about is God saves who he wants to save. God saves who he wants to save. Now, this can be kind of confusing for people sometimes. Because a lot of times, uh, we have a tendency to think that we are saved because, well, because we're good people. Right? That, uh, that, that God, is, God should be really happy that I'm one of his children. 
God should be really pleased that, that I chose to follow Jesus, right? But, uh, but there's a problem with that. And the problem with that is we're all sinners, right? We learned that earlier in the book of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's a test I like to give people to see. Imagine that you got up to heaven someday and you walked in and you saw somebody like Hitler or a serial killer or something like that. They, they had come to know Jesus before they died. Uh, they received his love and grace. They were baptized. They became born again. And they go, go to heaven. And you're up in heaven and you see them and you're going, wait a minute, what are they doing here? There's a little tendency for us all to think that, right? I know I would. That's what I would think if I walked in. But think about what that really means. What I'm really saying is, I deserve to be here more than they do because they did some pretty bad stuff. And it's true that from an earthly perspective, none of us have done anything that bad. But from God's perspective, all have sinned and fallen short. And, and if we are saved, it's because God chose us, God's word says. He chose to make us his children. Now, of course, the, the question then is, well, does that mean God doesn't choose some people? In fact, Paul even says this. Listen to this, and this is one of those parts of scripture that can really kind of blow your mind a little bit and be, can be very confusing. He says this, in verse 18 he says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. And then uh, he says, you will say to me, well, why does he find fault? Who can resist his will? In other words, if God decides who he wants to save, and if God chooses who he doesn't want to save, if that's really how it works, well then, that's not fair, because we didn't do anything. He says, um, but who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, that is molded, say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy? In other words, what Paul is saying is, couldn't God, if he wanted to, create one person to do great things and create another person to be condemned and he's God and since he made you, couldn't he do that? Kind of like, couldn't you, if you were an artist, say, I'm gonna make a beautiful uh, vase that is gonna hold flowers at the wedding of my daughter and I'm gonna make a chamber pot that could be used uh, by the side of the bed when I get older and I can't make it to the bathroom at night. Couldn't the potter do that? He says, couldn't God do that? Now, by the way, notice something. He doesn't say that's what God did do. He just says God could do that if he wanted to. God could have created some people to be with him forever in heaven, and God could have created some people that he would just use to show how his wrath works and condemn them to hell. God could have done that, but that's not what God did. Whenever we get kind of a thorny part of Scripture like this, we, we do this thing we call, let Scripture interpret Scripture. In other words, if there's a clear part of Scripture that helps us understand a, a difficult part of Scripture, we look at it. And there's a very clear part of Scripture that helps us understand this. It's actually in 1 Timothy where Paul says this, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So did God, could God create some people to be condemned? Of course, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Did God create some people to be condemned? No. 
because he desires everyone to know the truth. And again, that's why Paul is writing this whole section of scripture because he knows his brothers and sisters, his, the fellow Jews who aren't saved, and he knows the heart of God for them. God wants them to be saved. He desires all to be saved. Now there's another truth here that is wrapped up in this idea that God can save anyone he wants. That in every case, we notice that while God has saved us, he doesn't force his salvation on us. In, in other words, just because God wants everyone to be saved, not everyone is saved. And why are, aren't they saved? Because they choose not to believe. Take a look at, um, if you've got your Bibles open, 9 verses 31 and 32. Again, he's talking about these Jews who don't know God. He says, but Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. He says, here's the problem for my brothers and sisters, my Jewish brothers and sisters who aren't saved. They're not saved because they're trying to save themselves. They're trying to prove through their good works that God should save them. They're trying to prove that they, on their own, can make themselves desirable to God. And as Paul's already demonstrated early in this book, no one can do that. So the problem is, many Jews are not saved. And they're not saved because they're trying to use the law to save themselves. In, in chapter 10, verse 4, he says this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He says, to those who believe, we recognize that the law isn't there for us to use to save ourselves. And that leads us to, to the third truth here that we've learned, that there is one way to salvation, and that is Jesus. In, in chapter 10, later on, he says this, he says, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, what he's saying here is Jesus is the way to salvation. And by the way, that's not a very politically correct thing to say in the world today, is it? For, for, for us as Christians to say, we know the way to God, and there's one way, and it's our way, it's Jesus' way. That sounds very judgmental of other religions. It sounds very judgmental of other people. And, and here's the explanation for that I like to use. If, if our job was to find our way back to God, then it makes sense that there would be a lot of different ways to do that. That, that Muslims might have one way to find their way back to God. That, that, that Jews might have a different way to find their way back to God. That Christians would have our way of finding our way back to God. That, that Buddhists would have their way of finding their back to God. If indeed the goal was to find our way back to God, then the idea that there are lots of different ways would make sense. Think of it this way. Um, what, let's say my wife and I were both going to be here this morning. There's about five different ways to get from our house to here. None of them are very good, by the way. There's a, it's kind of a roundabout way no matter where you go, but you can take 95th Street, you can go over to Boughton and then uh, come the back way. You can, you can uh, take, take uh, um, 75th Street all the way and cut down. There's lots of different ways, right? And so you might walk up to Betty and I this morning and go, well, how did you get here? Well, how did you get here? Well, we took different ways. If finding our way back to God was the goal, then there could be lots of different ways. But we can't find our way back to God. 
There's no way we can find our way back to God. Instead, God has come to us. And he came to us through Jesus. So, so when we say to someone, well, our way is the right way, it's not like we're saying our way of finding our way back to God is better than yours. We're just saying we know how God came to us. He came to us through Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here, that there's one way, and that is Jesus. By the way, he says, here's how you know about Jesus. You need to hear about him. That faith comes through God's word. And uh, I, I love this section. Listen to this. He says, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is a, as it is written, how beautiful of the feet are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, let me stop there for just a second. I don't know if Mike's feet are beautiful or not, but I do know you guys have been blessed with a great pastor here. Mike is a great teacher, isn't he? And he's a great preacher. And, uh, and you guys get to listen to him every week unpack God's word for you. And, uh, and while we, we are eager to see more preachers develop here and other people have a chance to share that message, I just want to take a minute to tell you guys that I think the world, Mike, He's a, he's a great teacher, and I think he's doing a wonderful job unpacking God's word for you. He's, he's helping make this true in your life. You know, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. In other words, Paul is saying, you should be thankful for and honor those that proclaim God's word to you. And you guys have a great person to do that every week here. So, let's go back to the problem again. So this whole section of, of Romans 9 through 11, Paul's wrestling with this idea that there are Jews who, first of all, believe that by their birthright they're okay with God, but they're not. And, and there are Jews that believe that because they try to follow God's law, they're right with God, but they're not. And Paul says the problem is they don't believe in Jesus, and as a result, they're far from God and they're lost, and it's driving Paul crazy. That's the problem he's dealing with here. And so, again, what does that mean for us then, right? Because these chapters are talking about a very specific situation that was at work in Paul's life and in the Roman church, by the way. Remember, there were both Jews and Gentiles in that Roman church, and that's why Paul is helping them wrestle with this question. But, but what does it really mean to us? Well, I would submit to you this morning that th this part of Scripture has two important things to say to you and to me. And the first one is this, that we should have a passion for people who are far from God. I'll tell you a, a quick story. It's one of my favorite stories. When I look back at my ministry, and I'm getting to that age now where you start spending a lot of time looking back at your ministry, and, uh, and it's one of my favorites. I, this was years ago. I was at a small church out in the Elgin area, and uh, it was about the same size as South Naperville here is now, about the same number of people and kids and things, and, uh, and I had confirmation class that I would teach for our senior high kids, and there were three of them. Okay, so I had these three senior high kids and every day on Wednesdays after school, I would teach confirmation class. And one day I'm teaching these three kids and this lady walks in and she kind of waves at me and, and I didn't know who she was. And so I told the kids to wait a minute. I went back to the back of the church and I said, can I help you? And she goes, you're the pastor here? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I'm Lutheran. Like, all right, good for you. Great. You know, what is that? And what she goes, well, so I have a 17 year old son 
and, uh, and he's in big trouble at school. I think he's going to get expelled. And I've decided what he needs is he needs to get confirmed because he's never been confirmed. So I want him in your confirmation class. And the secretary said that happens here on Wednesdays at this time and that you, you're the pastor and you teach it, right? I'm like, yeah. She goes, good. He's out in the car. I'm going to go get him. You got to teach him. Great. Now think about this. I got a room full of three 12 and 13-year-olds and all of a sudden the 17-year-old kid who's about to get expelled from his high school class is in, sitting next to him in the room, and I'm supposed to teach him. Well, to the 12 and 13-year-old kids, this kid is the coolest kid in the world, right? To me, he's the biggest pain in the butt. And the first couple of weeks did not go well. He made snide comments. He wouldn't do his work. The other kids started making snide comments because if he can do it, well, that's cool. We can do it too. It was a disaster. So finally, after the third week of this, the other kids leave and I pull them aside and I go, look, you don't want to be here, do you? He said, nope. I said, your mom's making you be here, isn't she? Yep. And he goes, I said, well, guess what? I don't want you here either, but your mom's making me take you. <laughs> I said, so how about this? I won't make you do any of the work. You don't have to do the memory work. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is sit there, but you got to just sit there. No nasty comments. Just you sit there and tolerate me, and I will let you sit there, and I will tolerate you, and we will get through this together with your mom. How about that? And he goes, deal. Well, here's the cool thing. By the end of that class, he knew Jesus. Because one day we were sitting there and we were talking about how you get to heaven and that it's not by what you do and it's not by who, what family you're born into, but it's by believing in Jesus and that he has a place in heaven for every single one of us. And all of a sudden this kid raised his hand and he's been sitting there for like two months now, not saying a word, raised his hand. And I, I'm like, you got a question? And this is what he said. He said, do you mean that God is a place in heaven even for kids like me? And one of my favorite moments in ministry was on Confirmation Sunday, a year later, when he got confirmed, but before he got confirmed, his three classmates were his sponsors, and he got baptized. Folks, we've got to be passionate about people who are far from God. Our tendency sometimes is to want to simply tolerate them, right? Uh, let them do their thing. Let me do my thing. As long as they don't stop me from going to church, I'll be okay and tolerate them. But Paul was passionate about those people who are far from God. And, and it wasn't just any people that were far from God, although Paul was passionate about them too. Remember, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. But especially those people he knew his family and his friends, those fellow Jews who didn't know Jesus, Paul was passionate about them coming to know Jesus. His heart ached for those who didn't know God, and ours should too. That's one thing we can learn from this this morning. Here's the second thing that we can mean from this. That we need to be in God's Word. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm loving this study of Romans this summer. I'm loving the fact that we are just diving deep into God's word together. But, but you don't have to wait 
for your church to do a series on a book of the Bible for you to dive into God's word. And, uh, and so my challenge to you is, if, if you want to be passionate about reaching lost people, if you want to have God's heart for the lost, and if you want to know how God can use you to reach them, let his word strengthen your faith and grow your faith and build your faith. Because Paul says that's how we come to know God. That's how we come to be people of faith. It's by hearing. It's through God's word. But one last thing, back to the problem. So what about those Jews in Rome and in other places that Paul was writing about that didn't know God? What about the Jews today who are still far from God? Well, first of all, you should know that your church is doing something about that. One of our five mission partners is this thing called the Kaspari Center in Jerusalem. And uh, their work there is to help Jews right there in Jerusalem, one of the hardest places to share your faith in Jesus, by the way, to, to help them know about Jesus. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is a guy named Shmuel. Samuel, we would call him. Now, now Samuel, or Shmuel, is uh, kind of an interesting guy because, first of all, he's Palestinian. He's not Jewish. He was born in a Palestinian family, but he came to know Jesus as a young boy and eventually became a pastor. And in this kind of strange uh, twist of uh, fate, God ended up making him a pastor in a Jewish congregation in Haifa. So here's this guy, he's a Palestinian, but now he's pastoring a, a congregation of Jewish believers in Jesus. And when I first met Shmuel, I was over there to visit this mission partner that we have together, the Kaspari Center. And when I first met Shmuel, Shmuel we were talking and I said to him, well, well how's it going sharing your faith? Is, is it getting harder or easier to share your faith here in Israel? He says, well, the laws are getting harder. He says, but actually it's getting easier. He said, we, you know, we were out handing out Bibles, New Testaments on the street recently, and, and no one beat us up. I was like, wait, what? He goes, yeah, we used to get beat up all the time. No one beat us up. Now we did get spit on a little bit, but, but nobody beat us up anymore. It's getting a lot easier to share our faith. I was like, Wow. <laughs> we kind of take that for granted, don't we? Another time I was there talking with him, and he had his daughter with him. And uh, she was in high school. She's 16. And uh, you know what she was talking about? She was talking about the challenges of being the only believer in Jesus in her whole high school. Think about that. The only believer in Jesus in her whole high school. And just the past, this last time I was over there a couple of years ago, I was talking with him, and I asked about his daughter. He goes, oh, I got to tell you what happened. He said, uh, he said, my daughter's in the army. Everybody in Israel has to go in the army uh, for a couple of years. Um, and and uh, he goes, my daughter's in the army. And one of the things they do is uh, they come and they visit you. The officers come and they visit the parents and let them know how their, how their son or daughter's doing in the army. And uh, he said, so, so her officers came for the visit after six months to visit us. And they, they spent about 10 minutes sitting in our living room telling us She's great. She's a great young soldier. She's doing wonderfully. And then they said, okay, can we stop talking about her now? Because we'd like to ask you about something. And Shmuel was like, okay. And they said, you're, you're, the, you're a pastor, right? And he said, yeah. And he goes, we want you to tell us about Jesus. They had seen something in her life and knew that she was a follower of Jesus. And they wanted to find out more too. Folks, God is working in Israel to help the Jews come to know Jesus. And so let's pray. Let's pray, first of all, for that work. Let's pray for the work that God is doing there in Israel. But then let's also pray for the work that he does in our lives with those who are far from him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. 
Lord God, thank you for the gift of your word. That word that works in our hearts and in our lives to help us know you as Lord and Savior and follow you. Thank you also, Lord, that you let us be part of your work to reach those who are far from you every day. And Lord, I pray that we would all have that same passion that we saw in Paul this morning for those who are lost. And Lord, I, I also pray that we would all have stories to tell, um, like that kid that was in my confirmation class, where your Holy Spirit, working through our lives, can make an eternal difference in someone's lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.